0: part two of venus enslaved by manly wade wellman this librivox recording is in the public domain part two dispro barely able to stir for shock and weariness climbed only a few hands breaths out of danger before he must stop and wheeze for breath at last he could make himself heard max you pighead, help me came the grunt of assent from above as the big fellow slid down in turn he slipped a thick arm around disbro hoisting the tall slender body as if it were a bundle of old clothes and slid it across a shoulder like the jut of a crag then mac scaled the rope once again to the safe top of the nosed-over rocket ship disbro found his own feet and shakily wiped his clear-cut face still pale from exertion and terror that was close say ventured max mr planter he's gone disbro looked around the mud expanse around them was stirred up as if by boiling struggles but there was no sign of planter or the thing with tentacles that thing got him decided disbro but max shook his heavy head He demurred. No. The girl. She got him. Girl? echoed Dispro, and scowled. What girl? Max pointed with a finger like the heft of a hammer. She was in the trees. Got him. Dispro peered at the trees, then at Max. His scowl deepened. What are you driveling about? The girl, said Max. Dispro snorted and skinned his teeth in scorn. "'How,' he demanded of the Misty Skies, "'do I get mixed up with minus quantities like this? A girl, the man says here on Venus.' "'A girl,' repeated Max firmly. Dispro wheeled upon him. "'Come off of that,' he commanded sharply. "'Planter's gone, dead you're all i have to associate with you'll act sane whether you are or not max's big pained eyes faltered before the glittering accusation of Disbro's gaze all right he conceded there wasn't any girl there you idiot max nodded i saw shut up Disbro cut him off no girl i said no girl repeated Max obediently. Rain began to fall, fat drops the size of marbles. "'Back inside,' commanded Dispro. "'There will be lots of this kind of weather. We'll have something to eat, then study another way to reach the trees yonder.' "'No, girl,' said Max, "'but I saw.' The rain that drove Dispro and Max back into their shelter filtered through layers of leafage beginning to wash the mud from planter's clothing he stared again at his rescuer i seem to have understood what you said he managed at last isn't so strange that she flung back in words somehow run together e'en though you're mad enow to sport with yonder muckworm and her wide bright blue eyes flickered toward the danger he had lately avoided "'You'll have the tongue of mankind, or no man.' "'Man enough, young woman,' replied Planter, a little nettled. "'I suppose it's like the fantasies. We can read each other's minds or something.' "'Something,' she echoed, as if humoring a child. "'And I owe you thanks for saving my life.' "'Oh, twas no great matter,' she shouldered the crossbow. "'Come, for the Skygars will be about our heels.' She picked her way rapidly among the stream, with the surest and cleverest of feet. "'Women on earth were never so graceful or sure,' decided Planter, hurrying after. He was aware that he did not step on the muddy surface of Venus, but upon a matted overfloor of roots, fallen stems, ground vines, sometimes great sturdy leaves like lily pads, grown to the size of double mattresses. "'Wait, young lady,' he called. Who are the sky you mentioned, and why should they be after us?" She halted again, swung, and studied him with more of that disdainful curiosity. "'Tis a gruel-brained idiot," she decided as if to herself. For that they cast him out. Methought twas strange that a man should flee of himself from sure shelter and victual. It was raining harder. The great roof of vegetation only partially broke that downpour. It sluiced away the coating of mud from Planter, and soaked his stout garments through. He felt miserable in the dampness, but his girl guide throve, if anything, in the drops that struck and rolled down her bare arms and shoulders. He saw, too, that she followed something of a trail among the stalks and stems. It was barely wider than his own stalwart shoulders could pass and wound crazily here and there, but one must stick to it, for to right and left the jungle grew thicker than a basket. He called out again. Miss, uh, young lady? She turned, as before. What now? This path, what is it? Did you make it? Tell me things. He made a gesture of appeal, for she was putting on that look of contempt once more. You see, I'm no more than an hour old on this planet, odd so your brain is younger than that leave me i have no time for idiots abruptly she stiffened widened her eyes lifted a finger to her red lips for silence the two of them stood close together in the misty rain their ears sharpened planter heard what she had heard a rustling crunching approach along some other angle of the jungle path the girl wrenched apart two sappy lengths of vine and with a jerk of her head bade planter slip through into the great thicket he did so and she followed turning her lithe body close against his she brought her crossbow to the ready danger whispered planter and she nodded bleakly the approach was coming near planter judged that whatever threatened them was two-legged weighty and great-lunged many yards off it wheezed like a faulty engine his companion's ears were better than his or more experienced she gauged the nearness of the stranger and the crossbow went to her shoulder like a rifle planter saw that it operated on a spring trigger that would trip a latch and release the string the bow violently recovering from its bending would force the missile along a groove in the top of the stock All parts, stock, bow, and string, were of some massive dark metal, apparently treated with grease to save it from the constant dampness. The missile itself was not an arrow, but seemed the size and shape of a silvery fountain pen. Planter burned to ask questions about it, but the enemy was in sight by now, something of mottled green and black that shouldered upright along the way between the thickets planter felt his companion's body grow tense against his shoulder her finger touched the trigger lightly the metal string twanged and with a waspy hum the missile leaped toward its target at the same time a little burst of flame showed from it bright yellow chuck the shot went home as that other shot against the thing called a muckworm down floundered the green spotted form At once the girl was out of hiding and stooping above her quarry. Planter, following, peered with wonder and caution. He saw a body larger than himself and grotesquely of the same build. A dumpy torso on massive back-bent legs like a cricket's, wide flapper feet, a round low head with a monstrous slash of mouth, big eyes, now filming with death, no nose at all. The creature was very like a nightmare frog. But this frog wore garments, of linked and plated metal wire and rubbery-looking fabric. It had a silver belt with pouches and holsters. These pouches and holsters the girl was now plundering. "'Quick,' she snapped at planter over her rosy shoulder. "'Take the spoil. He will have friends, and they must not find us.' Her tone was still reminiscent of Dispro speaking to Max. "'Planter's ravenous curiosity was at last completely overridden. "'Young lady,' he said flatly, "'I'm not prepared to endure any more—' "'She suddenly screamed, "'not like a warrior, but like a girl who is mortally frightened. "'Planter had the time to realize that she saw something just beyond him. "'He pivoted and set himself as another of the froggy beings charged. "'More Skygors!' He heard a cry behind him, and he knew that it was Skygors he faced. Planter was a boxer of sorts, strong if not brilliant, and his unthinking reflex was to plant his feet, bend his knees, and crouch for attack or defense. That reflex shortened his height by several inches, and saved his life. The Skygors that rushed him had pointed a pistol-form weapon from which came yellow flame as from the crossbow. A silvery object, meant to shatter his brains, only sang above his head with millimeters to spare. Before the pistol-like weapon could aim and spit again, Planter had charged in. It was all he could do, but it was enough. He jabbed viciously with his left fist, followed with his right to the abdomen, the left knuckle slashed soft flesh about the wide mouth his right hand almost broke on a hard belt buckle both blows were staggering to the wheezing adversary who dropped its pistol and yelled with a voice like a steam whistle it made words each of them almost deafening to planter to silence it more than anything else planter drove in closer still and lifted an uppercut as though it were a shovel full of gravel It found the point where a terrestrial man would have a chin. Down floundered the clumsy body, and Planter, with no thought of referees or rules, set his heavy boot on the face and bashed it in. He stepped across the subsiding form in time to encounter another. This one got great flappy hands upon him. Their grip was knowing, powerful, wicked. The skygor plucked him close, its mouth grinned into a gape. It had teeth. It was going to bite. He was held by the shoulders, and doubted if he could break away. Instead of trying he put his own hands to the thing's elbows, drew his right knee tight to his chest, and planted a toe in a metal-clad midriff. Then even as the open paw sought to seize his face, He threw himself backward. Landing flat on his shoulder blades, he drew down with his hands and hoisted with his feet. His opponent somersaulted in air and fell with a heavy, squashing thump upon the root-tangled floor of the trail. In a flash Planter was up. He jumped with both feet. Bones broke under the impact. A second Skygore was down, dead or dying. "'Aside!' the girl was calling, and he obeyed, flattening against a cross-weaving of vine-stems. She was risen upon one knee, crossbow to shoulder. It twanged, flashed, and once again its successful charge sounded its chuck. Planter glanced down the trail in time to see a fourth and last Skygore drop down. He found that he was gasping for air, and trembling as though the danger was still to come instead of past. The girl rose, came to him, and touched his arm. She smiled, her eyes shone. Gone was the contempt, the superiority. She only admired completely and frankly. "'Sink me, you're a fighter!' she said. A cod, I saw only the flight of fists, and a Skygore went down, and another. You saved my life, and we have four Skygores to strip, with none to boom about where we went from here. Your name, friend? Planter. He said, "David Planter." David Planter. She repeated. Her A was very broad, so that she made the name almost divid. Again, she smiled. A king's name ist not. I am called Mara. Come. Help me take what is valuable from this carrion." Planter's heart warmed to her. "'Thanks for your kind words,' he smiled back. "'But I did what any man would do. All men are slaves,' she surprised him by saying. "'You will amaze the other girl warriors when I bring you to the nest.'" Dispro standing on the glass port-pane that was now floor of the control room, labored and cursed at his keyboard. He pressed one, two, an octave. The nosed overship stirred but did not rise. "'Max!' bawled Dispro to the upper hatch. "'Pressure!' "'Giving you all there is,' Max informed him timidly. Dispro turned from his controls, shrugging in disgust. "'Those bow tubes are jammed and displaced,' he cursed. "'We can't clear off until we get her up and clean them. "'And we can't get her up and clean them until they work. "'Huh!' Max's big, diffident face framed itself in the hatchway, registering a small hope. "'We're floating,' he volunteered. "'Close to those trees and things.' Dispro showed interest. "'Then we'll get our feet on solid ground, or nearly solid. "'That tentacle thing won't be sloshing around,' he beckoned. Come down." Max obeyed. From a locker Dispro took a pressure squirt of waterproofing liquid. He sprayed Max's clothes, then his own. "'That'll shed rain,' he said. Buckle on a pistol, if you're smart enough to use one, and give me two. Once more the hammocks in the lower chamber and the levers in the higher gave them a ladder way up. Dispro, emerging first into the damp warm mist, saw at once that they had visitors. The ship, as Max said, floated close to the mat of growth that fringed the muddy pool. Here the jungle consisted of meaty stems, straight, thick, and close-set, with tangled firmiform foliage. A little above mud-level, gnarled roots wove into a firm footing, and upon it, pressing from the thickets toward the ship. Were huge biped creatures in gleaming metal harness. They had chopped down spongy trunks and branches on which to venture over the mud surface as on rafts. Coming near the ship they had passed cables of grease-clotted metal wire around it, mooring it fast to thicker trunks. As Dispro stared down several of them began to converse in tones that rang and boomed like great gongs half deafened disbro still could perceive that their voices had inflection and sense Harness, concerted action tools a language here was a master race comparable to terrestrial humanity one of them turned a bulging black eye upward and saw disbro its flat face split across and a mouth like an open gladstone bag shouted its discovery one green paw, webbed but prehensile, snatched a weapon from a metal-length waist belt, and aimed it at the terrestrial. But Dispro too was quick on the draw. His gang rule on earth had necessitated shooting skill as well as leadership. His own automatic sprang into his hand. No you don't, he snapped, and shot the weapon out of the Venusian's flipper. It screamed in a voice that vibrated the steamy air, and its companions started and shrank back in startled wonder. Disparo drew a second pistol, leveling it at them. "'I'll shoot the first one that moves,' he promised, as if they could understand, and understand they did. Up went shaky flipper hands. "'No, no,' they boomed in thunderous humility. "'Don't don't he had not the time to wonder that they spoke words he knew he swung his weapons in swift arcs covering them all max behind had sense enough to level the long barrel of a repeating rifle please roared a venusian who seemed to be a leader we do naught to you better not cautioned disparo loftily We're more profitable as friends than as enemies." "'Friends,' agreed the leader. "'Friends.' "'If you try any funny business,' went on Disparo, "'well, watch.' He snapped his right-hand gun up and fired. The bullet snipped away a leaf the size of an opened umbrella. As the great green blob drifted down, Disparo fired again and again, until, ripped to rags, the leaf fell limply among the Venusians. They moaned like awe-struck foghorns. "'Understand?' taunted Dispro. "'Savvy, I could kill you all as easy as look at you.' "'Friends,' promised the leader again. "'Max,' muttered Dispro, "'these birds quit very easily without a fight.' but keep me covered from up here." Planter's rope still dangled along the hull. Dispero slid down, coming to his feet on the raft heap below. The Venusians gave back in wary confusion. Dispero allowed himself to smile upward. "'See what an ape you are, Max?' he chuckled. (laughs) "'You got a look at one of these and thought it was a girl. You're not much of a picker, Max.' To the Venusian chief, he said, I think I'll muscle in on your territory. Mara, the crossbow girl, brought Planters to the place she called The Nest. It was hollowed out in the thickest part of the towering jungle, as a rabbit's form is hollowed among tall grasses. The floor was of plaited and pressed withes, supported on stumps and roots of many tall growths. Rounding upward and outward from this were walls, also of wooden poles and twigs, woven into the growing tangle. The roof was similarly made, but strengthened and waterproofed with earth, dried and baked by some sort of intense heat. The space thus blocked off was shaped like the rough inside of a hollow pumpkin, and in size was comparable to the auditorium of a large theater. Within it were set up smaller huts and bowers. There were common cooking fires in ovens of stone and mud brick, and a great common light suspended from the ceiling by a long heavy chain. This was a metal lamp fed by oily sap from some sort of tree. Finding the nest was difficult. Mara had picked a careful way through mazes of thick vegetation paying special attention to the rearranging of leaves and branches behind them. Sagely she explained that the skygars, when hunting her kind, were thus completely lost. Even at the very doorstep of the nest the tangled vines, branches, and leaf sprays obscured any hint of such a place at hand. The dwellers in the nest were all women. They came cautiously forward twenty or so as Mara ushered Planter inside. They were active specimens, dressed scantily and attractively like Mara. Most of them were young, several comely. All were fair of skin and hair, a logical condition in the cloudy air of Venus. They wore daggers, hatchets, ammunition pouches. Even at home they all carried crossbows. "'What does this man here? demanded a lean, harsh-faced woman of middle age. "'Is he not content with servitude?' Mara shook her head. "'He's like none we know. "'He fights more fiercely than we. "'Ekhaad shouldst have seen him. "'Barehanded, he o'ercame two Skygars. "'I slew two more. "'Look at our trove.' She opened a parcel of great leaves, and showed dozens of the silver pins that were ammunition for both the Skygore pistols and the human crossbows. Planter also showed what he had brought from the battlefield, several belts, numerous harness fastenings, and two of the guns. These latter made the crossbow girls nervous. "'We stand by these,' Mara said, tapping her crossbow planter fiddled with a pistol. Its mechanism was strange but understandable, and he flattered himself that he could learn to use it. As for the pin missiles, they seemed to contain a charge that burned violently on exposure to air. The trigger mechanism, whether pistol or crossbow, punctured it, set it afire, and the vehemence of combustion not only propelled it but destroyed the target completely. The older woman, whose name was Montha, nodded her head over a decision. "'Let the man have the dag,' she granted with an air of authority. "'If he fights as Mara says he may be of aid. Yet he is unlike those we know, in hue and aspect.' True enough, Planter was dark of complexion, with black curls and ruddy tan jaws. He spoke to Montha respectfully, for the others called her mother, and treated her as a commander. "'I'm not of your people,' he said. "'I come from another planet—Earth.' "'Earth?' she repeated. "'You come from there? Why, so do we all.' Down a trail went a patrol of Skygars. Among them, not much under them in size, tramped Max. His broad shoulders bore a great burden of supplies from the ship. At the head of the procession, next to the chief, walked Dispro. As someone else was saying to Planter, at almost the same moment, the chief Skygor boomed to Dispro, "You are not like men we know." Naturally not, agreed Dispro. Your race is more like a bunch of freak reptiles. Not my race, demurred the chief Skygor. "'Men. Slaves.' Disbro understood only part and took exception to that. "'I'm no slave of yours,' he warned. "'No. Equal. We have long needed equal men to kill off the wild girls.' "'You see, Mr. Disbro?' chimed in Max from behind. "'Dave Planter was embarrassed.' Inside the nest he sat on a crude chair opposite Montha the mother. The overhead light burned dim, and damp banishing fires in the ovens mingled red glows. Planter asked questions, but was distracted by the crossbow girls, who watched him with round eyes, whispering and giggling. Mara nearby scowled at the noisemakers this venus world has much that's unknown mantha said here in the north can we dwell not many days off the steam is thick the heat horrid the jungle dreadful none go there and return mother if you are called that enlighten me begged planter you say you come from earth our fathers came lifetimes agone planter's good-looking face showed his amazement Interworld flight was new he had thought but some unknown expedition might have tried it succeeded and then never returned to report. 'Twas for fear of black cromwell montha enlarged Bromwell, echoed Planter, 'the the puritan leader who fought and wiped out the english cavaliers montha seized on one word cavaliers yes our lives were forfeit. We flew hither. It explained everything. Human beings in a world never meant for anything but amphibians. Their fair complexions, their quaint but understandable speech, the crossbows that would be familiar weapons to Shakespeare, Drake, or Captain John Smith. Yes, it explained everything except how pre-machine-age Britishers could succeed on a voyage where eight spaceships before Planters had failed." "'How did you fly?' demanded Planter, amazed. Montha shook her greying locks. "'Nay, I know not. "'Twas long ago, and all records are held in the Skygor Fastness.' "'They stole from you?' after our fathers made landfall there was war montha said her voice bitter the skygors were many and would have slain all but thought to hold slaves and as slaves our fathers dwelt and died and their children after them but you aren't slaves protested planter tis skygor fashion to keep all men and such women as are hale enow for toil Others who seem weak they cast forth to die, like us." "'Who did not die?' chimed in Mara, plucking her bowstring. "'We found fruits, meat, shelter, and joined. Now we slay skygars for their medals and shot. Lately they slay weaklings lest they join us.' Planter whistled. This was a harsh proof of human tenacity the sky discarding unprofitable servants and finding them a menace. "'None of you are weaklings,' he said. "'Freedom brings health,' replied Mantha, sententiously. "'Yet they are many more than we, well fortified, and have a strange spell to whelm those who attack,' she grimaced in distaste. "'We but lurk and linger, fighting when we must, and fleeing when we may as the last of us dies things began to happen a tall robust girl very handsome had been hitching her woven chair close to planter with a pert boldness she touched his hand i've seen no man since i was driven forth a child she informed him i like you i am Sala." mara rose from her own seat swore a rather Elizabethan oath, and slapped Sala's face resoundingly. Sala too sprang up. Larger than Mara she clutched her assailant's shoulders and tripped her over a neatly extended foot. Mara spun sidewise and falling, broke Sala's hold, came to her feet with a drawn dagger. This happened silently and swiftly with none of the screaming and fumbling that marks the rare battles between terrestrial women. Planter stared, half aghast and half admiring. Another girl whispered behind him, "'Let them fight! Send them ill days! Look at me! I am not ugly!' Perhaps to flee this new admirer, Planter threw himself between the two fighters. As Mara attempted to stab Sala, Planter caught her weapon-wrist and wrenched the knife from her. Meanwhile Sala snatched up a crossbow. Leaving Mara, Planter struck the thing out of aiming line just in time. The pin missile tore through the basketry wall of the nest, and Planter gained possession of the crossbow, not without trouble. "'Are you girls fighting over me?' he demanded. "'Egad, what else?' challenged Montha who had also sprung forward, art a man of height and presence, for any man these my manless girls would contend." "'Aye, would we,' agreed one of the bevy, with frightening candor. "'He's mine,' snapped Mara, holding her own crossbow at the revy. "'Step forth who will, and I speak true.' "'I'm nobody's,' exploded Planter. "'Anyway I'm going. Uh, I've two friends near here that I've got to find, and soon.' "'More men?' ejaculated Sulla, forgetting her anger. "'Fighters with weapons,' said Planter, ignoring her. "'They'll help you smoke out these sky and set free your kinsmen.' Happy cries greeted his words. "'I'll guide you home,' David Planter offered Mawa, and Montha gestured approval." Mara and Planter left the nest on a new jungle trail. Mara explained that these tunnels were made by great floundering beasts, and served as runways for smaller land life. The girl trod the green, fog-filled labyrinths with assurance. Within minutes they reached the pool where Dispero had landed the ship. At the edge floated the limp, dead thing that Mara had killed to save Planter. Small flutterers, like gross-winged flies, but as large as gulls, swarmed to dig out morsels. Mara called the creature a krau, the flying scavenger's growls. Sigor words for ugly beasts. She commented, "Neither is good for food." Planter picked his way from root to root toward the ship. Disbro, he called Max. There was no answer. He scrambled up and inside, then out again. Something's happened, he said gravely. Mara studied the massed logs that made a rough raft. Skygor work. And eke the rope of wires about your ship. They've been captured by Skygors? For slaves? Planter had climbed down again. His hand sought the Skygor pistol at his belt. His face was tense and pale. I'll get them back. Where's this swamp city you mention?' She pointed. "'Not far, but the way is perilous. The trails throng with Skygors, and there is the spell.' "'That sounds like some old superstition,' snorted Planter. "'I'm not afraid of Skygors. I killed two today.' "'Ay,' she smiled. "'They are not great fighters in these parts. But there are more than two at the city. "'Come along. You can go back to the nest.' She smiled more broadly. "'How else will you find the way, my David, for you are my David?' "'Don't start that again,' he bade her, more roughly than he felt. "'Lead the way.' Mara took a nearby jungle trail. After some time she paused and studied the matted footing. "'Tracks,' she pronounced. "'Certain skygors and two pairs of feet shod like yours.' planter looked at the muddied marks thus diagnosed by the skilled trail eye of mara my friends and their captors aye that they went this way come she slipped aside through the close-set stems planter did likewise mara slung her crossbow behind her and climbed a trunk as a beetle scales a flower stalk tis safer from skygors up here she told him over her shoulder, follow me carefully. Planter did so with difficulty. He was a vigorous climber, and the lesser gravity of Venus made him more agile, but Mara, some forty feet overhead, swung through the criss-cross of limbs and vines like a squirrel. "'Wait!' he called, striving to catch up. She paused, finger to lips. As he came near she said softly, "'Not so loud. We come close. Feel you the spell?" Hanging quietly, Planter did feel it. Uneasiness came, chilling his back despite the steamy warmth. His hair stirred on his head, his teeth gritted, and he could not reason himself out of the mood. Mara moved ahead, and he followed. Growing accustomed to the climbing, he made progress but the uncomfortable sense of peril grew rather than diminished. Once, in their strange journey, Mara paused, and from a belt pouch produced food. It consisted of fire-dried fruits, strange to planter but tasty and substantial, also two meat dumplings made by wrapping a nut-flavoured dough around morsels of flesh. For drink she plucked long spear-like leaves from a vine, and planter found them full of pungent juice. While they munched he heard boomings in the distance which Mara identified as Skygore's speech. "'We are almost there,' she whispered. Look well.' She rose, and again they took up the journey. After a time she paused again and pointed just beyond them the branches thinned out over a great open space in the jungle under a far-flung canopy of white vapors lay the swamp city of the skygars planter gazing in wonder at the strange city thought of old venice or of a beaver colony in a dyked pond before and beneath him was a quiet greeny clear body of water around its rim grew shrubs bushes and huge reeds their roots clasping the great facing of white rock which apparently paved the banks and bottom of the pool in the water itself poking above the surface in little pointed clusters and plainly visible where they extended beneath were the houses of the skygors they were of some kind of soil or clay that had been processed to a concrete hardness and were tinted in various colors some of the smaller dwellings were roughly spherical and crowned with cone-shaped roofs others larger protruded well above the water in cylindrical form here and there travelways connected the clustered groups but it was beneath the surface that the town was complex and great it seemed to lie tier above tier closely built and grouped With here and there protruding arms or wings of building, like coral budded from the same mass. In those depths swang myriads of skygors, plainly at home under water. More of them, at the window-holes of the upper towers or paddling on the surface, boomed and roared at each other in their deafening language. From on high Planter saw them as smaller and less to be dreaded. They might have been slight fantasy things—water elves or super-intelligent frogs. Look, you, David Planter," prompted Mara at his elbow. From a tunnel-like hole in the jungle, a group of skygors emerged. Among them were two human figures clad like Planter in loose overalls and helmets. "Your friends," Mara questioned. "Right," snapped Planter grimly. He drew the pistol weapon and glared. Disbro and Max, the latter stooping under a great bale of goods from the ship, had paused on the brink of the water. A skygore was thundering to them in words of English which Planter across the water found hard to catch. Other skygores motioned at the pool, and one or two jumped in and struck out for nearby buildings. They want your friends to dive, Mara informed him see the slim one shakes his head planter rested the pistol on his forearm and sighted on the skygore who harangued Dispro. meanwhile other skygors were bringing up what appeared to be a small inflated boat that operated with a paddle-wheel arrangement behind mara saw what planter was doing no she gasped don't david i'm going to he told her We'll be next. Nonsense! Those flapper-footed devils can't climb. They're too heavy, too clumsy. She caught at his weapon wrist, but he had fired. The skygor weapon was a wondrous one; even an indifferent shot like Planter could not miss with it. The skygor beside Disparo seemed to burst into flames around his flat bushel-mouthed face, and then he collapsed and lay still. His companions swarmed to his side, rending the air with their horrid yells. Planter chuckled, and Mara moaned. The man moved forward among the branches, to a place where he could be seen. "'Hi, Desbro,' he trumpeted, as loudly as any Skygor. "'Max, it's David Planter. Run while you have the chance. I'll pick those toads off.' But neither of his friends offered to escape. They only stood and gazed at him. You idiots, blazed Planter. And then saw that two of the Skygors on the inflated boat were aiming weapons at him. He sent a silver pin at their craft, and it melted abruptly as its air escaped from the puncture. A third shot took one of the Skygors splashing in the water. Run, you two! Planter made his companions once more. He felt a grip on his ankle and glanced down. Mara had crouched low, was trying to pull him back from view. As soon as she had his eye she let him go and thrust both fingers into her ears in some sort of a sign he did not comprehend. Understanding dawned suddenly, and too late the mist trembled and swirled at a sudden outburst of sound louder than even a sky-gore chorus planter dropped his weapon began to lift his hands to his ears in imitation of mara but he could not the noise possessed him as a rush of electric current might course through a body paralyzing and agonizing it he swayed and floundered among the branches his hair bristled, his ears rang, his blood coursed, every fiber of him vibrated. Yet something about it was vaguely familiar as though it was something he had experienced, or a magnification of such a something. Yes, of course, the uneasiness that Mara called the spell. Some device made a noise vibration, normally subaudible but unpleasant enough to warn aliens away. In a time like this when attack came it could be intensified to the point of striking the enemy stupid. Meanwhile he was falling through branches and leafage to splash clumsily into the water of the pool. Abruptly the noise ceased. The sky were around him, their flipper hands fastening upon him and he was too wrung out, too grateful for silence, to resist. End of part 2